Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 205. The first week of my month-long road trip following the best amateurs in the world started at the U.S. Junior Amateur last week at Country Club of North Carolina. Incredible golf course and hospitality. I can't thank everyone at the USGA and CCNC enough for a fantastic week. The players, parents, coaches, and other media members all made it memorable. Congrats to Nick Dunlap and Cohen Trollio for making it to the finals. Dunlap ultimately captured the championship, but they both showcased the state of junior golf brilliantly. And I'm looking forward to the 2022 U.S. Junior, which will be held at Bandon Dunes. Are you kidding me? Sign me up for that right now. That is really where everything started for me with the back of the range as far as covering amateur golf on site with a camera. And I'm definitely looking forward to going back there again next year. The road trip continues. As quickly as I got to North Carolina, that's as quickly as I just arrived in Golf, Illinois for the 119th Western Amateur Championship to be contested at Glenview Club. We're going to cover quite a bit in this episode, but let me just state this. This is quite possibly the strongest field for an amateur championship that I've ever seen. This is a grueling week, starting with 72 holes of stroke play. The field of 156 is cut to 44 after 36 holes. Those 44 must then play 36 holes in a single day to fight their way into the Sweet 16 for the match play portion. And once it goes to match play, anything can and usually will happen. Last year, it was Pearson Cootie that won the Western Am at Crooked Stick. In fact, one of the more memorable episodes here at the back of the range was when I interviewed Pearson the day after he won while he was in the car driving home from Indiana to Texas. Remember, every single episode is available for download at thebackoftherange.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Pearson was featured on episode 151, so go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. This episode, however, is all about previewing this year's edition of the Western Am. These preview episodes are a fun and informative way to set the table, so to speak, really get an understanding of the history of the championship and what we might expect in the upcoming days of championship play. My special guests on this episode are Rick and Charlie Waddell. Rick is the tournament chairman of the Western Am this year. Not only is he a member of Glenview, but so is his son, Charlie. In fact, Charlie is in the field this week, joining other strong mid-ams such as Stuart Hagestad and Garrett Rank after winning the club championship at Glenview. It's a special week for the Waddell family and a special week for Glenview. You see, Glenview is where the very first Western Amateur Championship was contested back in 1899 and it returns for the first time since 1905. I spent yesterday getting a feel for the course and becoming more familiar with the lay of the land, and this club absolutely drips with history and legacy. During this episode, we spoke a bit about the history of the Western Amateur, the Western Golf Association, the Evans Scholarship Program, which is the chief beneficiary of this championship, and also how you'll be able to watch the Western Am online via their new streaming platform. 
Before we get started with this episode, just a quick thank you to Patrick Donahue, Steve Pirelletti, and John Borderman, and all the great people at the Western Golf Association. As you may remember, this collaboration between the WGA and the Back of the Range was announced several months ago. And finally, this week is upon us, and I'm excited to join the team and bring everyone more content than ever from Glenview Club. As always, follow along on social media, on all of the Back of the Range channels, but most notably Instagram, but also make sure you're following WGA Championships on Instagram as well. All right, let's get started with this special episode. Rick, Charlie, you're at the Back of the Range. How are you? Ben, I'm uh, Rick Weddell here. Great being with you. Look forward to a, a good show. Thanks so much, Ben. Looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for uh, all your participation with the Western Amateur. Well, gentlemen, it's going to be a fantastic week. I know that I'm very excited to be here for the 119th Western Amateur Championship at Glenview. Before we talk about the field, the championship, and Glenview Club, it's a bit of a rite of passage here at the back of the range. Everyone needs to give a little bit of a history of how they got involved with the game of golf. So, Rick, I'm going to ask you to jump in first, followed by Charlie. Talk a little bit about your involvement in the game, how you got started, and also how you passed it on to your sons. I got into the game of golf. I married a woman uh, who grew up playing junior golf, um, and kind of we met in college, and I picked up the game. I was actually a tennis player early on. Uh, and, you know, played competitive tennis, you know, up to sort of freshman year of college. And then, uh, in sort of that junior, senior years, I, uh, got hooked by it, uh, by the game. And my wife and I were married the year after, uh, we graduated. And, and she said, where do you want to go on your honeymoon? And she said, let's go down to Hilton Head and play golf. Oh, wow. And, uh, we played a lot of golf together. And then we had, uh, our two boys, Frederick. Uh, and then Charlie, and they came along into the game, and they they, they played a lot of sports. They played you know baseball, um, uh, hockey, and and golf uh, right through college. But they really were uh, by by high school focused on college, and then that led to both of them having very good college careers. So I always say that uh, my wife, their golfing teams come from my wife, um, but and and I've just been. Uh, there to be supportive and play, and, and I've always wanted to be competitive with my boys, so it's, it's, it's caused me, because they're both very good players, uh, to want to always be kind of relevant to our, our boys' golf game. So it's been a, a lot of fun uh, as a family along the way. It's been a great journey, and uh, we're so proud to, to see Charlie now competing at the highest levels on the amateur uh, circuit here in the United States. Charlie, talk to me a little bit about maybe – obviously climbing the ranks in the junior set and, and playing collegiately at Bucknell. You know, how is, you know, a lot of these kids that are going to be playing in the Western Am, you're going to be uh, competing against. You're going to see that they are either already at school or, uh, you know, making that transition from, from junior golf to playing collegiately. Uh, what was your transition like playing with your dad, playing with your brother, and then moving on and playing collegiately? It was a great question. And, um, you know, growing up, it was, it was, you know, sort of the three of us. And then if mom wanted to join us, we would, you know, it was golf was certainly the, the sort of center point of a lot of our own social interactions, uh, you know, as a family, incredibly special and still that way to this day. Um, and then, you know, in, in high school, like my dad said, you know, we played everything. So we played, you know, golf in the fall, hockey in the winter and, and baseball in the spring. 
Um, and it wasn't really until sort of probably sophomore, junior year that really started to hone in on golf. Same story with my brother, who's two years older. Um, and coming out of, of, of high school, I wasn't a particularly great junior, junior golfer. I didn't leave the state of Illinois that much. You know, academics were always a, a, a very important part of, of the way that mom and dad raised us and was really just looking for, I wanted to play division one golf and really looking for sort of where the Venn diagram intersected between uh, division one golf and great academics. And that led me to Bucknell sure. uh, sort of ironically where actually my grandfather and great grandfather both went there. So got there and, and there was a, a new coach who was in his second year. I came in with, with five other recruits and um, we had a four years where we kind of had a great little mid-major program there in Lewisburg and um, you know, won our conference twice and, and made it to the, the NCAA regionals twice, which was really fun. And, and I just kind of continued to get better every year. I worked really, really hard on my game and just continued to, to improve throughout, uh, throughout college. Yeah. I, I'm really trying to maintain my, my, my professional acumen here as a, uh, gosh, as somewhat of a professional golf podcaster. But when you start talking about NCAA tournaments and Bucknell and me being a former Kansas Jayhawk, I start kind of twitching a little bit back to 2005 and well, Ben, you know, you brought it up. I did. No, I know. Um, I know but, I did. Uh, I know that I know I did. I do it. I do it all the time, but I'm just, I'm, we, 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 we were actually in 2005. That was my sophomore year. And, um, we were down as a team. We were down at Innisbrook. We had just gotten our behinds kicked by the Copperhead course in a qualifying round and in, in sort of the middle of March. And, you know, this was before, this was before smartphones, oh, sure. you know, they, uh, everything. So, you know, we kind of run off and, and run back to the little condo we had. And this was before, you know, the NCAA tournament, every game was on TV and it was whatever region you were in. And I forget, but Florida had a game. So we were watching the crawl for the first half. And then it wasn't until, you know, sort of probably 10, 12 minutes left in the second half that the that CBS flipped over to, to the Bison versus the Jayhawks. And it was, it was unbelievable. It was a kind of a formative moment and a fun, fun sort of crossover between golf and, and, and good college basketball. Well, I'm so glad that's such a fond memory for you. Anything we can yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anything we can do to make our guests happy here at the back of the range. But no, it, it's it's yeah. definitely sticks out in my memory as well. Now, you mentioned your brother, Frederick, and I couldn't help but notice that he is – talk to me about what he is doing, You know, either one of you, Rick or Charlie. Talk to me about – this job that he has in the game of golf, this is probably the first one I've come, first guest I've come across, or first person I've come across. Is he a product manager for Titleist? Does he make golf balls for a living? He does. He, uh, Titleist makes 1.3 million golf balls every day, um, <laughs> and uh, it's quite an amazing stat. And uh, I've actually been out to the ball plant three uh, outside of Fairhaven, Massachusetts, and it is an incredible sight to see uh, their their production line from the raw materials going into the finished golf balls being x-rayed, uh, as they have since Titleist uh, was formed in the 1930s, um, to make sure that every ball is perfectly round. And uh, it's, it's a very, very interesting process. And Fredericks uh, has been in charge of uh, some part or now all. Uh, he's just been promoted to oversee all golf balls. Uh, at Titleist. So he's got all the Pro V1, you know, top of the line, AVX, and then uh, the other brands. And uh, he's always, he, he, he got to Titleist um, in uh, 2012 
uh, after graduating from Kellogg with a degree in marketing and finance. And uh, he put his resume out on LinkedIn and Titleist thought, and, uh, had him out for an interview. And he, he played very high end uh, amateur golf, uh, both as a collegiate and then the 04 U.S. amateur at Wingfoot. He competed there. So a very, very good accomplished player. And they, they wanted somebody in the ball division who could appreciate um, at the amateur level. Sure. Uh, just how important the golf ball is. Uh, kind of funny story. Uh, he w- had multiple interviews during his uh, his first round, and, and of course everybody said, "What's the most important piece of equipment in your bag?" And, and Frederick would say, "You know, his putter. You know, me, you know, sometimes my driver." Right. And they kept looking at him and saying, "Don't you think the golf ball? <laughs> you're you're ready for <laughs> golf ball." Yeah. Uh, and so he's come around that the most important piece. Golf ball, but uh, he's enjoyed it. Tyler is a great company, and uh, it's been fun to see him uh, develop in and around the game of golf with a great, a great company like Tyler. Well, ben, real quick on that too, with bringing it to the Western Am. The way I describe it to people is, you know, they say, "Oh, how cool is it you're playing Western Am?" I said, "Well, I, you know, your home club." And I said, "Well, it's kind of a family affair because my dad's the tournament director. I'm playing in it, and my brother's making all the golf balls that these guys are going to be playing." There you go. So yeah. We've got the full, we've got every angle covered. Well, I mean, and the other thing, immediate thing I'm thinking about, Rick, is you're probably not getting ties for birth for birthday presents. I mean, you, you know there's got to be just a dozen pearls, you know, every year for you at the very least. And then I'm also wondering if there's ever a time where you, you play a, a joke uh, on them and all show up wearing hats of other ball or club <laughs> manufacturers just to maybe try to get the blood pressure going. But we, we, we maybe, we should try it. If you have time for a very quick, funny story uh, that's you know, what we do here go ahead so frederick joined in august of 2012 and he happened to be uh about four or five months ahead of the at that time the role the new rollout in january and february of 2013 of the new pro v1 pro v1 x model so he was you know uh in that in that early launch and in the spring of 2013 uh, i was playing golf here at glenview with some buddies of mine and uh, they were wanting to know how Fred was doing. I said, well, they just rolled out the new Pro V1, Pro V1 X line, and he was there. And, and they said, well, what's the difference between the new Pro V1, Pro V1 X and the old one? And I said, well, the new ones are free. <laughs> yes. I, I I don't think I've paid for a Titleist golf ball since 2013. I was going to say, uh, yeah, you could just uh, that that's going to be wiped off the expense list with your with your with golf. I don't think you need to worry yeah. about that. Well, that's a great history in the game. That's a great history of your, of your family's involvement in golf, and I think that's uh, leads us right into just your involvement with with the Western Golf Association, and it's uh, it's just such an incredible story that you know, Rick, you're the you know tournament chair. Charlie, you're playing as the Glenview Club champion. You know, Rick, I want to ask you, you're a tournament director for, for Northern Trust. You've you've been behind the scenes at some of the largest tournaments in the world. You've seen some of the best players in the world. And, uh, you know, this is something that listeners of this podcast or people that are going to be following the Western Amateur uh, online or, or, or obviously there in person, you know, there's many titles that flow around at a tournament. You know, rules committee chair, competition committee chair, tournament director, volunteer. There's all these titles. Maybe they just see what's happening on the golf course. Can you speak to some of the things that you do off the golf course in preparation for the Western Amateur? 
Uh, sure. Uh, uh, love to fill you in on the details because it is, um, it's first of all, a collaboration sure. uh, between the Glenview Club and the Western Golf Association. And fortunately, Ben, that relationship between our two organizations goes back uh, to literally the beginning of the Western Golf Association. Uh, Glenview Club was one of the 11 clubs that uh, came together in the late 1800s formed the Western Golf Association. And the Glenview Club has, has just kind of been a, uh, a, a big supporter financially uh, through the Evans Scholars uh, in hosting early on the very first Western Amateur. Um, and this is our the 119th edition. So this relationship goes back a long way. And when I was asked to be the tournament chairman um, uh, now about uh, a year and a half ago, uh, it was an honor, to be honest with you, because of that relationship and to be associated with uh, an organization that does uh, so much good um, and, and an organization, as I said, that we're so close to. And, you know, the experience that I've had, you know, with the Northern Trust Open and the Northern Trust and the FedEx Cup playoff, um, you know, the model, uh, the, the basic financial model is the same. And golf, the great, one of the great things about golf is how much money goes to charity. Uh, and we were quite proud at the Northern Trust when we took that uh, tournament over in 2008. Uh, they were putting back about $700,000 into the community in Los Angeles. When we ended uh, that relationship uh, in Los Angeles, um, uh, about nine years later, we, that tournament was giving nearly $3 million uh, back to uh, the community. And so we want to see that, uh, that charitable component be a big part of the outcome of the tournament. Sure. And the Western Amateur is no different. Uh, we raise money, we have tournament expenses, and whatever's left over goes to the, to the Evan Scholars Foundation. Net number has typically been in the, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar range, which is uh, the, the WGA is very happy. I can tell you and your listeners right now that um, we will be will be much higher than that. We're, we're right now targeting probably uh, in excess of eight hundred thousand dollars that this Western Ham is going to contribute to the Evans Scholars Foundation. So it's. It's just like off the charts. The, the Glenview members have come together through a variety of fundraising uh, initiatives to raise money, uh, and uh, we we're investing a little bit more because another outcome, one of the things I learned about uh, through the Northern Trust is how important the players perceive the tournament. Um, and and yes. the, the goal of the Western Golf Association has always been from the, the very first question I said is, you know, what do you want out of this? And besides the money, the charitable contribution, they said, we want the players to talk about the experience and what it was like to play in the Western Amateur at Glenview. And so we've invested a little bit more in terms of player hospitality, uh, player housing, player amenities, um, in, in order to make their experience here um, just a little bit different than some of the other uh, amateur tournaments that, that they play in. And we think Western Amateur being the third oldest amateur championship in the history of golf, uh, these players deserve that kind of investment. So we're quite proud of the contribution we're going to make to the Western Golf Association. 
And I think the players are going to be in for a real treat uh, here at the Glenview Club at the Western Amateur. So uh, I just want to make sure I, I heard that correctly. Typically, 50, 60, 70 is the net donation to the Evans Scholar. And you're saying this week at Glenview with this 119th Western Am, you're targeting somewhere in 750 to 800,000. Did I hear that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, I don't, I'm not a math major. I don't want to figure out what the percentage increase that is, but that's incredible. That, and that's, uh, I'm really glad you spoke to the purpose of the event, obviously to benefit the Evans Scholar Foundation, but also you hit it right on the head, get these players talking about how special this event is. I, I can't imagine how many amateurs are out there. They're going to be uh, watching online that are going to feel that uh, this is a tournament that I need to get into as quickly as possible in the upcoming years. I learned early on the PGA Tour is another interesting stat. Yeah. If you combine the charitable contributions of professional football, professional uh, baseball, hockey, and basketball on an annual basis, that total doesn't equal what the PGA Tour gives to charities every year. Mm-hmm. And I think the game of golf and I think the amateurs who are going to play here and who have played and, and have gone, you know, many famous players who have gone through the Western Amateur have gone on to be professional golfers. They understand the charitable nature of golf, not only tournament golf, but players who have their own foundations and give back. And I think that that understanding, and if we can impress some of these players that this tournament is going to create a record uh, contribution to the Evan Scholars Foundation. I hope that really spurs them on to, to in their golf careers to, to get to that next level, whether it's collegiate or professional golf, and, uh, and always remember to give back uh, because that's what the WGA is about. That's what this club is about, the PGA Tour, and the game of golf. Uh, so we're, we're, we're very proud to be a part of that. Before we talk about the you know, this year's Western Am and the great field and the players and everything that you've done to, to build this championship at Glenview this year. Can you perhaps talk a little bit, of, for people that don't know, talk a little bit about the history of, of uh, you know, the Evans Scholar and, and Chick Evans and how this tournament actually came to pass? Absolutely. Well, it's, you know, the history between Glenview Club, the Western Golf Association, and the Evans Scholars Foundation are all tied in to you know, Glenview Club and, and Chick Evans. And as, as the story goes, you know, Chick Evans was a, a you know, a, a lifelong amateur, um, very successful and had done some promotional videos um, kind of when, when uh, you know, people were doing that back in the 30s and, and had been given a sum of money that he couldn't accept or else he would become uh, a professional. And sure. he was uh, out at Glenview Club and was getting to, you know, know some caddies out here. And uh, one of whom was uh, couldn't continue his education at Northwestern. He was a student at Northwestern, couldn't continue his education. And Chick Evans was, uh, was telling his mother about this, and she said, "Well, why don't you take the money uh, that this you know producer is trying to give you, and take it to the Northern Trust and start a foundation to send you know these caddies to college?" And he said, "Holy cow! You know what a great idea!" And that was how the whole idea of the Seven Scholars Foundation was started. Um, and it was started, you know, as, as Glenview is one of the anchor clubs, sending initially just to Northwestern. And then obviously, um, you know, the, the foundation and the program, the association with Western Golf Association uh, has done nothing but grow uh, from there. So it's a really cool kind of element of, you know, how it's really come full circle back from 1899 to the 30s to now 
being back at Glenview with the Western with the Western Amateur, you know, benefiting the Evans Scholars Foundation. Charlie, I'm going to let you uh, jump in here um, after Rick is your father gives his thoughts. But you mentioned Rick that the the Western Am is you know the third oldest amateur golf tournament uh, in the world. You know, behind obviously the the amateur and the uh, the U.S. Amateur. You know, you're returning to Glenview for the first time since 1899. It's hosted the U.S. Am. It's hosted the U.S. Open, but that was back in 1902, 1904. And the course right now plays just under 7,000 from the tips. Obviously, it's not unusual to see elite championships held at courses that are under 7,000 yards, but obviously the occasions, they're, they're starting to become few and far between. How do you see Glenview challenging the best amateurs in the world this week? First of all, I'd say the membership doesn't take any particular pride in uh, having these players shoot high scores. I okay. mean, I, we know uh, the strengths and weaknesses of Glenview, um, and uh, our course superintendent, Brian Moore, has done a fabulous job of setting this course up. We, Charlie and I have played it uh, this morning, and he can tell you uh, how he views the course. It's going to be firm and fast. The greens are going to be very quick. The rough is going to be up. Uh, they're going to uh, have we, – we, one of the things about Glenview is we do have the ability to put some pins in some very interesting positions given the slope uh, and where the bunker abuts the, the green. So I think the, the players are going to be challenged, and there are going to be a lot of birdies uh, because they, they can bomb it uh, a long way, and they're all good wedgers and, and putters of the golf ball. But I think you know, once you get into match play, it's – it's two guys going against each other, and uh, I think they're going to find a real challenge out here, and I think they're going to really enjoy the conditioning of the course. It's going to be in superb condition. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of building off that, I think that there are there's certainly some, you know, the, the scorecard sort of doesn't tell the whole story because there are definitely some, some holes that play a lot longer uh, than they would indicate yardage-wise with some cross-bunkering and some water that comes into play. But there, there's certainly a strategic element that is in play at Glenview in terms of, you know, picking how far you're hitting it off the tee on a certain line, um, but then and then also, you know, kind of playing the angles into the into the greens. I do think, I, you know, I think someone will probably go pretty low and just just you know catch a little bit of a heater and and take it take it, uh, you know, pretty far under par. Um, but at the same time, I think there's you know there's certainly some some calamity that that awaits a, around you know, different, uh, you know, different, uh, areas of the golf course. I think the par threes are going to be spectacular. We've got four great par threes sort of mixing in, uh, length all to, I would say probably the four hardest, uh, greens on the course, or at least three of the four hardest greens on the course. So I think you could see some interesting things done there with, with pin placement and tee setup. Um, it's going to be a great test. Guys are going to love it. It's old school. There's nothing, you know, gimmicky about it. Um, for the greater Chicago and Illinois landscape, there's some neat elevation change, okay. which you don't really get, um, you know, in, in the surrounding courses. The piece of property is spectacular. Um, the guys are going to love it. They're, they're going to have so much fun. Now, Charlie, you've played in, in several U.S. amateurs in the past. You actually qualified for this year, so congratulations. You'll be at Oakmont a couple weeks after uh, the Western Am. Do you approach a Western Amateur? I know you've played several Western Ams as well. Do you approach a Western Am differently than a U.S. Am? I mean, they both have the stroke play portion. They both have a match play portion. Very strong fields. Probably a little different emotion at this Western than in previous. 
Do you, have you given any thought to how you're approaching each tournament? It's a great question. And let me sort of say, I'm trying to approach both of them differently, I okay. would say. Um, okay. And and it's an interesting time because I've been I've been really successful in, in qualifying for the for the U.S. Amateur, um, you know, going back to 2014. And, um, you know, those 36 hole one day qualifiers. I just I sort of changed my mindset a little bit and stay very, very patient you know, the classic cliche of one shot at a time, et cetera, but just really sort of stay in a nice sort of consistent, steady mindset. Um, and I, I candidly have kind of struggled when I've gotten to the USAM or played in the Western AM where, you know, I look around and I see all these great players and I think, holy smokes. I mean, you know, if I'm not making a bunch of birdies or, you know, you can't make a mistake, da, 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 da. Right. when at the end of the day, anybody that's played enough, and I hope that I have now, you know, realizes that that's not really how it is, that, you know, you need to play your game. You need to stay patient and steady. Um, and so I've really, after qualifying for the U.S. Amateur and going into the Western Am, I've really been sort of reflective about why I've been successful in those U.S. Am qualifiers and trying to replicate that mindset both at the Western next week and then also um, at Oakmont. And I think that, you know, my game is in a good place right now to, to sort of do that. Um, and, you know, I've played Glenview Club so many times going back to when six, seven, eight years old. And I think that'll be a, a real challenge here is to stay patient um, because, I, you know, I've, I've played a lot of, of really great rounds here. So to, to just stay patient and, and keep a nice sort of steady, calm mindset, I think will be very beneficial. Yeah. And you're bringing a hell of a resume into this. Uh, you know, obviously what you did at Bucknell when you're in college and you're you winner of the Lupton Invitational. And anytime we can drop Joe Duraney's name in an episode, I always like to do that because you, you beat him in a playoff. So um, that's just to make people listen and, and hear his name so I can get him on this podcast in the future. But I also don't want to point, you know, we got to point out the fact. I mean, you're one of these really strong mid-ams, uh, you know, along with, you know, guys like Stuart Hagestad and, and former champion Garrett Rank. I mean, you're one of these really strong mid-ams in this field. You know what this field's like. I mean, this is, I mean, this is an absolutely incredible field. I'm going down the list of names and like you said, I mean, when you go to these USAM qualifiers, you got to kind of put that out of your mind. But still, I mean, when you look at the field, it's this is, has to be one of the strongest fields I've ever seen. Absolutely. No question. First of all, you're very, very nice to put me in the same uh, sentences as guys like uh, Joe Duraney and, and Stu and Garrett. Um, and, and, I, and I agree with you on the, on the field. The field is outstanding. Um, you know, it's a testament to sort of the history of the championship and, and guys coming out and playing. And um, you know, again, at the end of the day, I think, uh, there are so many good players, you know, there's going to be certain players that are really playing well that week. There are going to be other guys that maybe aren't playing as well, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, what anybody else is doing is, is really sort of out of your control. And, um, and, and especially with Joe and, and Stu and, and Garrett, all great friends of mine, you know, they're, they're very open about their sort of competitive mindset when they get into these events. And I've talked to sort of all of them about it. And um, it's neat to hear, you know, especially a guy like Garrett who won this tournament in 2019 guy like Stewart that obviously has carved out, you know, a special place in the history of amateur golf for himself um, and hearing, you know, how they approach that uh, has been really beneficial to me. That's just kind of sort of dipping my toe in the, in the high end competitive, competitive uh, atmosphere. And I know you're not targeting any sort of a specific score or where you want to end up after stroke play, but as someone that undoubtedly can, you know, finish in the top 10 of the Western junior, you got to like your chances this week, right? Um, well, uh, it's, you know, 
I think if I, I think there's there's I'm just, enough. I'm just setting you gold. up, man. I talked to Gator Todd here, so I'm just. Did you talk? Uh, yeah. that, well, he settled a bet for me with a bunch of Unwencia members. I don't know if he gave you the whole the oh. whole history. Though, no, no, about that. Uh, Dad, real quick. So all these guys at Unwencia said, "Well, how would you do in the Western Junior out here?" I said, "Finish in the top ten. They said, "No way." You wouldn't finish in the top 10 against these kids. I said, I watched Wednesday afternoon. I said, I would 100% finish in the top 10. They said, no chance. I, so I texted Gator, who was out there watching. I said, Gator, where would I finish inside or outside top 10? I said, top 10, 100%. <laughs> I said, thank you. I mean, these kids are very good players, but, you know. Yeah. Um, That's one of, it is interesting, back to your earlier question, Ben, about the development uh, of both our boys. Um, and it's, it's, you know, Charlie mentioned that he didn't feel he was a very good junior golfer in the state of Illinois, but you know, golf changes. I mean, you, you know, you, you go through periods of, you know, being, feeling like you can, you know, just control the golf ball at any moment and, and, and put the right swing on it and you can make that golf ball. But then there are other times where you just, and, and to see our boys develop, uh, really the love of the game and understanding that there are going to be days where you don't have your A game. There'll be days where you, you, you're just invincible, but learning to, to go through that um, and understand your, your kind of place in the game has been very, very interesting for us. I can only imagine just seeing that the journey with both of them and, and also a lot of the, obviously a lot of the different tournaments and championships you played and then, you know, the ups and the downs and, and, navigating your way into kind of the the, the mid-am uh, uh, circuit and, and playing these great championships uh, you're, you're absolutely right it has to be just a fascinating journey that you that you both are on uh, as well as your brother uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you Rick before we kind of pivot to some of the interesting things that are done with this western amateur is I know you taught classes at the Kellogg school for at Northwestern and I know that's where you got your MBA a lot of these kids are going to be there kind of in game mode. They're really going to be focusing on you know, playing the best of their ability at the Western Amateur. May or may not have a time to, to sit and, and chat with you even for a few minutes. But I know one of the things you taught in your classes was leadership. And a lot of these players in the field, they're students. They're heading back to college uh, either for you know the, their, their first time getting onto their collegiate teams, but they're heading back as student-athletes. They'll be looking to lead their teams, or they'll be looking for leadership from their fellow uh, teammates. So I, I thought it'd be a good opportunity, maybe, to ask you. You know, what are the key attributes of being a successful leader? Well, uh, you're nice to ask that, and uh, I got that question a lot uh, when I was uh, the CEO at Northern Trust, and and you know, I had I have a number of principles about uh, leadership. I won't go into you know all ten or eleven of them, but I do think for golfers um it you have to have uh, for sure a sense of balance and i think great leaders um do not uh you know over invest or under invest to great degrees uh in in their game in their personal life their social life their academic life you have to be balanced you know just as charlie was saying you know academics we always felt as a family that academics were important, but sports and competition and teammates and teamwork were all very important as well. And so um, I've always thought that um, 
balance is, is, is important. And the way I always found to achieve balance was that priority. So that, you know, look, I was the CEO of a, a very large global uh, banking company and everybody said, well, you know, that's your most important uh, priority is running Northern. And, and it really wasn't. It was, you know, it was my faith and my family and my friends. And sort of Northern was actually fourth on my list. What was that? Golf. <laughs> my golf game. <laughs> uh, so Charlie's heard that, heard that joke a little bit. But, you know, I, I understood that I spent a lot of time at at Northern, uh, you know, I traveled around the world, you know, it was 20,000 people and, and a public company. I, I got all that, but, um, the most important things that I made sure that I didn't, um, underinvest in or ignore, you know, were my family and my sure. friends. And so I think, uh, great leaders, uh, have a sense of balance. And, you know, I think for young players, they can get so focused on their golf game and, and so, um, you know, pinpoint accuracy and hit the perfect shot. And they've got people advising them around, you know, all, all these things. And that's fine if they can manage to be balanced in, in the other things that, that make life, you know, meaningful. Um, and if they do that, I think they'll end up being great. They'll be great teammates. They'll be great college golf captains or, or, or leaders, and they'll get better rights in their game and, and in their in their uh, in their social and educational life. Real quick, just building on that, Ben, because I've thought about this a lot, and obviously have dad as you know, sort of like hero and mentor, and, and grew up on those Northern Trust bedtime stories and whatnot. <laughs> but it's been really uh, fun for me now at 36 years old to be playing in these events with, with the, the, the college kids and to be able to be reflective on, on my years playing college golf and now being, you know, working professional where, you know, I have this thesis that playing college golf is sort of the best job training you can get because, you know, and most of these kids will turn professional and whatnot and some will have great careers, but some will find themselves back, you know, working, you know, uh, as a member of a team sure. in a job. And if you think about what college golf really is, you are obviously an individual that is out there on the golf course performing, but you're also performing on behalf of, you know, the other four guys that are in the lineup that week. And you're at the end of the day, you're, you're really being judged, you know, on how your team does your performance is an element of it. But that's, that's the, that's the real world. That is how teams within Northern Trust operate. You're part of a team. You're tasked with responsibilities. You're doing that. But you're being judged as how your overall unit in the business is or team within a unit is doing. And, and that's what college golf is. Um, and I just think it's it's such a cool parallel um, that really doesn't exist in, in other sports necessarily um, or, you know, quote unquote, team sports. And that's been just so fun for me to really think about, get to know these these kids and, and sort of... Uh, you know, occasionally I'll opine on that. That's a great, two great points. Just everything you guys said is fantastic. I, I wish that more of the players, I mean, obviously, like I said, they're, they're zoned in, but you know, open, open the ear, open their ears, open their eyes to see what's around them and speak to as many people as possible and, and learn how to become better leaders, better, better team players. It's only going to benefit them um, further down the road. You're, Hundred percent right. Um, before I let you two go, there's just really great information you've shared, and I know you're both super excited about the the Western Am. But the thing that I'm really excited about that I think a lot of people that are 
going to be there live watching it, but also people, you know, around the country, around the world, is the live streaming portion of the 119th Western Amateur. It's something rarely ever seen at this level, but the Sweet 16 match play competition, obviously it's 72 holes of stroke play over three days. Then you go to the Sweet 16 of, of match play, and then obviously to to a champion. But you're going to be providing more than 12 hours of live streaming coverage on the Friday and Saturday at the conclusion of the event. It's going to be on GolfChannel.com. It's going to be on the WesternAmateur.com. It's going to be on Peacock Streaming Service, Golf Pass. I mean, it's going to be everywhere. And I guess, Rick, I'll, I'll pivot to you. You know, it's one thing to recognize how important, uh, or it's one thing to recognize that the technology is going to be available that you can actually do something like this for a championship, but it's the other, uh, it's a completely other thing to devote the time and the resources and the manpower to actually make this happen. How did this all come to pass, and and how exciting is this for you and the entire team at the Western Golf Association? Great question, uh, and Mark Wilson is a, a little bit of a story here. Uh, he's actually out playing Glenview right now. It kind of gets back then to our wanting to showcase this, you know, in, in a different light, both from the player's perspective, the financial dynamics I talked about, but uh, to to make this tournament, uh, you know, look and feel bigger than and maybe it, it has in, in the past. So uh, the WGA has been looking into live streaming uh, for a, a number of years, and we wanted to be very supportive of it. Uh, I've got to give a, a shout-out to my wife, Kate, who, um, little-known fact, uh, George Savaricus is from Wilmette, Illinois, and uh, kind of childhood uh, friends with Frederick and Charlie. And in one of our meetings, said to the WGA, you should call George and see if he would do a piece, you know, on Golf Channel or, uh, you know, maybe there, maybe there could be some broadcasts. And so uh, we've got Steve Scott and, uh, excuse me, uh, Mark Wilson and uh, George Savarikas are, I think, are announcing the Sweet 16 players on Thursday night. Uh, and we've got the connection now with the Golf Channel and, and all the streaming that they're going to do on Friday and Saturday. And so we're just, we, we think it's just another step in the evolution of the Western Golf Association uh, and the Western Amateur uh, to get to that next level. Uh, in terms of visibility and impact uh, in amateur golf. And uh, we're very, very proud of uh, this new association that uh, the WGA has got with the Golf Channel and look forward to the the steaming broadcast. Listeners of this podcast know that uh, Steve Scott and I played high school golf against each other in in rival high schools in Coral Springs, Florida. I've gone on to create my own golf podcast, and all he's done is win a Western Amateur, go to two Walker Cups, and play professionally so clearly um you know i have a little bit uh, you know i have one up on him so but it'll be fun to reconnect with him at, at the western amateur and and i will toss in that steve scott and i and two northern coast clients won the Lurie children's memorial pro-am tournament at unwensia club back in i think 2001 um uh when in the, the Lurie's uh, again the this is just another example of golf giving back to sure. uh, the community. The Lurie's uh, Pro-Am is probably, I think it is the oldest Pro-Am in the, it used to be part of the Western uh, uh, Open. And, and they've got this great trophy with 
Arnold Palmer's name on it, Jack Nicholas, and now and Steve Scott and Rick Waddell and two of our clients' mm-hmm. names are on it. Uh, and and I had a great time with with Steve. I don't know if you'll remember. I birdied eighteen with a stroke, and we won by <laughs> like one. So it, how could he forget? I, I mean, mean, I'm sure. I, how could he forget? I was just looking through some old scorecards, and I saw my, saw my scorecards from that day. Uh, but Steve's a great guy. We we enjoy playing with him, and and. Uh, you know, uh, we we pestered him about his uh, amateur uh, defeat, unfortunately, to Tiger Woods uh, out of Pumpkin Ridge. That was awesome. <laughs> you mentioned that to, you mentioned that to Steve all the time. Well, I, we we asked him what was going. You know, I mean, he you know he uh, he knew who he was up against, and he gave a great fight. He, he was happy to talk about it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's one of the best USM finals of all time. So yeah, I, for I, sure, ninety six. Um, well, I'll let you both go, but I, I couldn't help but uh, I, I wanted to definitely ask one final question, and I'm not sure if it's hit you yet. But I mean, Rick, you're the you're you're the tournament chairman of the Western Am. It's at your home club, site of the very first Western Am. You know, that's so much to look forward to, and it's going to be a, a long week. But I know it's going to fly past. But then you you have your son Charlie in the field, and he's the club champion, and you know. You know, I, I'm not a filmmaker, but I do know a couple, and this kind of sounds like movie material. How thrilling is this for you both? Has it has it kind of sunk in yet? It has. I mean, we've been very busy with our tournament committee and getting everything organized and uh, ready for 156 players to come in. And as, as Charlie said, these are they're all great players, and um, I think I know maybe a little bit about golf that you know those that can chip and putt you know and get the ball in the hole um are typically are, are uh and be patient as charlie said um i think you know as a parent i'm always nervous i you know i want my kids to do well and i you know and i have uh i've seen them you know pull off great shots and i've seen them you know when things don't go well i just want charlie to play his game and be competitive and yeah uh, the other thing is, if you get through the metal play, match play is it's totally different. Um, and I think getting to match play is probably Charlie's first goal, and and then uh, it's it's just playing you know the opponent and playing uh, playing the golf course in match play and and you know taking it one shot at a time. So um, it would be. It would be a dream come true uh, if he made it to the finals and, in fact, won it. Um, but I think he's just thinking about uh, the first goal is to, to get into match play because uh, that's that's the big one. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, he's playing well. I can tell you, I, we just uh, yeah, six under today. Uh, you were playing playing great. He's he's, he's uh, his swing looks good, and he's putting well, which is also important sounds easy charlie just go win the darn thing very easy well i obviously um <laughs> no, i am playing well and it, you know you can't help but kind of think about that with dad being the chair and whatnot um the thing i have a three-year-old son uh who thinks that like golf and especially tournament golf is just about the coolest thing ever um and he, he wears the usm qualified medal he's been wearing it for 10 straight days oh my every day, putting it on which is so cool to see um, and so for me, I obviously, I, you know, I want to play well, everybody wants to play well, but 
representing the club and the membership is is sort of goal number one and and putting up a good fight for all of them um but then also i'm excited you know on the home turf to have my son clark come out and be able to to, to see me play and uh it, that just to me is going to be very special yeah he, he's going to be in the tournament chairman's cart oh yeah <laughs> Oh well, that's a, that's a pretty good spot to, uh, to 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 watch a Western Amateur. I'd imagine he's going to get VIP access and plenty of juice boxes and animal crackers and just about anything this kid Spot wants. Spot on. Exactly. He knows exactly where the halfway house is. Exactly. That's awesome. Um, fantastic information. Uh, I think this will get uh, everyone that's listening to this episode more uh, excited than they uh, have already been for the Western Amateur at Glenview and. Uh, Charlie, best of luck uh, playing the course. Uh, Rick, best of luck uh, staying calm and collected while you're uh, watching him on, on the course and, and also uh, being the tournament chair. But I appreciate you both uh, having me to Glenview and I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Ben. Thanks everything uh, for everything that you do for, for amateur golf and promoting it. And there you have it. Special thanks to Rick and Charlie Waddell for joining me on this very special Western Amateur Preview episode. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow WGA Championships on Instagram as well. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the live streaming of the Western Amateur, and we'll see you next time here at the back of the range.